Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. On the pod today, a couple of my LA fintech buddies, John and Alex from Agent Risk, which is a company reimagining what money management should look like. John and Alex are from Greece. They've had multiple startups, lots of downs, and one really big up. And we try to focus in on what makes for a successful venture and what they've learned throughout their journey. Before we get into it, here's this. This last week, it was a lot of fun. Not only was it our country's birthday, but it was also my wife's 34th birthday and my daughter Elle's first birthday. So a lot of celebrating here. For the fourth, we hung out with fam, grilled, swam, watched fireworks. Pretty ideal day, except I got really sunburned on my shoulders. For Elle's birthday, we had like 40 adults and 20 kids over to the house. We had a kid's band. We had a taco truck. It was a lot of work, but a lot of fun. And my wife's friend made Elle her very own little cake that she went to town on. It was her first time having something sugary and sweet. For my wife's birthday, we went bowling at 4.30 in the afternoon with all the kids and then out for Mexican food. I always talk about how it's something small on the side that creates for a delightful user experience, and it's usually not even the main event. Well, that held true with bowling, with the fact that when you pull up to the place, they have this big parking lot that you just park the car in, walk into the bowling alley. For everyone not from LA or another big city, you probably don't appreciate how delightful that is. I don't remember the last time I went somewhere and didn't have to circle around the block looking for some creative parking spot or leave the car in a massive garage. You forget how awesome it is just to pull up, park, and walk into the place. Makes for a pretty great experience. Okay, so for the non-delightful side, fajitas at a Mexican restaurant, they always sound like a good idea. You get the sizzling platter that creates a show. Everyone in the place turns to look at the smart guy that ordered the best dish that's really not any more expensive than anything else on the menu. Pretty genius, right? I don't think so. Only order fajitas if you want to be sitting there blowing on your food to cool it off for 10 minutes while everyone else is pretty much finished. If you like repeatedly burning the roof of your mouth, then fajitas, they're totally the right thing for you to order. Or if maybe you're not really hungry and you want some extra time to build up an appetite while you watch everyone else eat their food because yours is just burning a hole through the roof of your mouth, then yeah, fajitas for you, they're the right thing to order. All right. I'm, uh, I'm glad we talked about bowling and Mexican food on this podcast, but nuances like that, that's what separate great products from mediocre ones and incredible brands and businesses from everything else. 
You think Steve Jobs would make a product that burned your mouth when you opened the box? Or would he give you a parking spot with your name on it right in front of the place? Okay, let's get into the interview. All right, Alex and John, we're sitting in the tiny little like room where we're all holding hands right now in Santa Monica, cross campus. Thanks for coming on the pod. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So it's a good story because one of your friends was on the pod, Nico. You heard it. And then you reached out to me and you're like, hey, I've got a cool fintech startup in Los Angeles. We're multi-time founders. Why don't we come on your podcast? I'm like, thank you for doing my work for me. You guys make uh, make my life easy. <laughs> well, thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So now your startup's called Agent Risk. Yep. But you've, you guys have been serial founders. You've had lots of lots of ups and downs, some good, some bad. Mostly downs. Some ups, but yeah, mostly downs. Yeah. Let's go with you, John. Let's let, let's hear about some of the ups and downs. How you how you got your your start? Where you're from? Yeah. You got you have a you have an accent. You're not from America. Of course, yeah, yeah. I'm from uh, from Greece. Like my my first startup was like I don't even remember, like eight or nine years ago. And it was something that had to do with Facebook. We got inside the Facebook fund and fund that Dave McClure led like a long time ago before his 500 startups. Everything that you saw in the Silicon Valley show, that exact, that's exactly what happened. Exactly. Like it was super fun for us, not for the investors, but it was good times. So I had like, I had a couple of more startups that I've built a fantastic team. That's how I met my previous co-founder and we had a huge exit on my third startup we got acquired by Splunk a big data company in San Francisco the investors made like a 17 to 20x return so pretty happy we made also a lot of money and that's when the problems start meaning that we had very good problem we had we made some some money and we didn't know how to invest this money. But before starting pitching about agent risk, I'll let Alex like tell his own story. Also from Greece, I, I like to say to people, we're very diverse and non-diverse company because we're kind of 50-50 split on the gender. But until recently, we're 100% Greek. So yeah, John and I, we met in San Francisco. We pretty much had around the same time an exit. I was, was not a founder. I was early employee at... Um, storage, enterprise storage company called Maginatics. Uh, we started in 2011. It was a hard product to build. We're R&D for a year until the first couple of pilots. We had, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Long story short, we ended up at EMC, which were our, our first investors as well. And again, we ended up, you know, we had a decent exit, you know, for us, you know, coming from uh, a small country, you know, it was, you know, a little bit of a life-changing event. And we end up seeing the same problems, even though we're we knew each other because in San Francisco, if you don't know one Greek person, you have at most one degree of separation. So we were in the same neighborhood and we, you know, we're trying to figure out what we do, you know, now, you know, things change, you know, you know, having $10,000 in your bank versus a little bit more makes a big difference. What do you want to do? Especially if you don't want to burn it in Las Vegas. So yeah, long story short, we both moved to LA around the same time, also independently. And around maybe last summer, end of last summer, where interests seemed to have been, you know, becoming a little bit more solid of a project and my previous startup attempt kind of won down, you know, we kind of decided to join forces and take it to the next level. I mean, so that all makes good sense. You're living the Silicon Valley dream. You're like ups and downs and then you exit and you're like, I want to move to LA. It's sunnier. It's 
maybe a little easier life. And so the two of you come out here independently and you've both alluded to this problem now of problem of having lots of money and too many things to do with it and not the right kind of management. So what's the solution? What have you guys built? So we, as I said, when we got acquired, we made, we made some money. And the thing is that, as you obviously know, is when you have a startup, it never goes as planned. Never, never. It doesn't matter how many times you do it. It never goes as planned. I don't know why. So the startup that we actually sold, the startup that got acquired, we only raised $100,000. We broke even and we got acquired. We had 40,000 customers, insane amount of technology. We make a pretty huge exit. And we had no idea like how this happened. How does a small startup went viral and, you know, start having all these customers. And then we had the other problem that now we're still in, we are in Silicon Valley we make a lot of money and okay, we, we are also angel investors. We invest in other startups because they are founders like us, like we relate 100%. But what do you do with the rest of the money? So do you go to the big banks and everything? You talk to them and they create your portfolio? Like, how does it work? So we got approached by the big banks and financial advisors and we didn't really like it. Like something was strange. And what is was what was specifically interesting was that I felt like an idiot. I don't know why. Like I consider myself like a smart person, definitely not the smartest. I hope that I'm not <laughs> I'm not the smartest. But I felt like an idiot. Like, hey, you can understand like the financials, like we'll build your portfolio and we'll do stuff like that. And I started asking questions like, what's the sharp ratio? What's the drawdown? How it performed in the past? And I realized that the person that I was talking, I was talking to didn't actually make the portfolio. Somebody else gave it to him. So I had no idea how the portfolio was created. And that guy didn't have his money on the same portfolio that he was recommending to me. So imagine like you meet Elon Musk and he tells you, oh no, I drive a Honda man. Like, no, no, no. Like I'm not driving a Tesla. And for me, it's like, this doesn't work. You need to eat your own dog food. Like this is, this is how yeah, that's, it should be. That's startup 101. Of course. Yeah. So I've, I started talking with other founders and they had the same problem the same good problem, like we have money and we want them to be invested somewhere, but we are also high net worth individuals who have a lot of money. So we want the experience and the diversification and the sophistication of Goldman or whatever, but we want the transparency, the full control, the data analytics. We want all this stuff. So we decided to build agent risk and that's exactly what we do. Pretty cool story. And so how long have you been working on it for? I think more than two and a half, three years. Because the interesting thing is that when you are in the financial sector, especially the wealth management sector, you have a lot of regulations like, oh my God, yes. Yeah, it's not simple building a new bank. No, no, we had to be, Alex and I are uh, FINRA regulated advisors. We had to read and take the exams. Series so, 79. Series 65. Oh, yeah, yeah, so good times. And yeah. then we needed to have like the SEC regulations nailed down. We needed to have a compliance officer. We needed all this stuff. And then we needed to have some solid performance because, okay, some people invested in it in us, like uh, came to us as customers because they know that we're entrepreneurs, we have our money into the platform, we've built it based on specific ideas, but they were like, what is the performance? How do I know that these guys, you guys are as smart as the other guys? So it took us like two and a half years, almost like three years now to have the performance. So we could tell them, hey guys, we kick ass, this is how it works. Like, you know, it's not bullshit. 
you can we have actual performance it's not like back testing yeah. or you know making the data work on our behalf like this is how it works like real data no i, I Totally get you. I mean, I'm coming from the same place. Fintech's not easy. This is why a lot of these problems haven't been solved is because there's so much regulation and so much complexity around broker dealers becoming banks, all these things. If that wasn't the case, then everyone would have made banking delightful and user-friendly, but that's not the case. So you have big banks with a big share and the experience that they provide to customers of being pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so we're both we're both chipping off problems in the same space. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's it's a very interesting space because you cannot sit in a garage and write your code and hope for the best you go viral. You have this like red tape. You need to have all this compliance nailed down, pass all the regulations. But it's okay. It's okay. I think in the next like three to four years things will become a little bit easier as more fintech startups enter the space and they are disrupting uh, the area. But it's still a long, a long way from uh, from this. Sure. So Johnny said that startups rarely go to plan, but this is why investors like to look for startups, uh, founders that have done more than one startup. Yeah. They've seen a lot of the problems. They hopefully have less of them the second time. So this is your, I mean, you've done it a few times now. So is it easier, harder, simpler? Like what's it like going out and doing a, you know, a startup after you've been really successful doing one? Both you guys. Yeah, so I'm also an angel investor and keep saying to people like the startups that I invested and exited, I had zero idea that they would make it. Like I was like, this was a terrible idea. I should have never invested there. I believed in the team, but the product was not there. The market fit, like literally I have 100% ratio of not not believing in the startup that they finally exited. I believed in the team, but not in the product. So the only thing that matters at the end of the day is not the business plans, all these, like, it's... I don't want to say bullshit. This isn't allowed to say bullshit. I don't know. No, but I'll say it. Say whatever you want. <laughs> the only thing that matters is the team. And what is extremely interesting is that serial entrepreneurs know a little bit better how to figure out when something doesn't work and pivot and try something else. That's That's the only difference. It's not like we know how to do it and every time we're going to kick it, uh, knock it out of the park. Like this doesn't work. But we can figure out like this is going towards a disaster. It doesn't work. Something is wrong. Let's pivot. Let's do this. Let's have the team together like going the same path with us. That's the only difference. And uh, especially in Los Angeles, this is one of the challenges. There are new founders that they haven't been, you know, they haven't, they didn't have enough failures or they didn't have enough people around them that they failed consistently so they learned from uh, from their mistakes. John, what about you for you? What, or uh, Alex, sorry. What has it been like on this time around? After I, I quit previous, you know, paycheck job, I decided to take a, a challenge of my own. And what I learned, you know, coming to this one, you know, again, f- failures is one for sure. And I think what it, also we have seen work now for us, because we have this weird trifecta that our... Investors are also customers, are also BD. They, they do a lot of things, especially because of the kind of business we're in. Having gone through the hustle of the first one or, you know, being a little bit more a few years in your career, especially if you're trying to get outside your shell, outside your cubicle, if you will, your network grows and it's, it's a good place to tap, but, you know, and also knowing when to tap in that network. You know, if you build your karma, you know, well, it can pays off in, in if, it, if you do it at the right time. So for us, for sure, some of the stuff became easier because, you know, 
we had the support of people that you know we've built long relationship with. So there, some you know that's the one of the good things that's you know it's has been baked in Silicon Valley culture for a while. Here in LA, it's a little bit in more infantile stages. You know, it's it's getting there, but this notion of people reaching out and helping out mostly altruistically it's a big deal so i think that's that's primarily it you know there's technical stuff you know knowing how to, where to innovate where to do the boring stuff you know if you're not building you know the next web infrastructure company maybe not not innovate there and innovate in your core competency and do everything else vanilla even though if you know both super technical you know engineers we always the new shiny thing is very enticing for us to try often case it's just drags you down, right? It's always race to revenue, race to success, right? Yep. I mean, as you're saying, like in Silicon Valley and LA, wherever you are, if you've done it before, then people are going to believe that you're going to be able to do it again. If you haven't done it before, then like society, the world, they're going to say, okay, prove it, prove it first. So, I mean, like it's a big piece in the startup culture too. Like I see companies that aren't doing something similar to, to pay club, what we're doing, but you know, in fintech that have teams that are younger than us, less experienced with products that are maybe not even in market yet. And they raise, you know, millions and millions of dollars because the founders worked at Airbnb or something beforehand and they have connections in Silicon Valley. So these connections, these experiences, network, this is it's all like means a lot, a lot in the startup world. I really wanted to hit on the, on the second time piece. And so have you guys raised money for this company? So we're currently raising a little bit of money, which I would, that's another thing that I think some, you know, first time entrepreneurs that and also people that they like to be living in the in the glam quote unquote of that you can fall into a trap into you know maybe having your, your north star not be the right one oftentimes now it's you know raising a lot of money so there's companies that you know you need to do that right it's very r&d heavy you know you have to be build a team of 10 20 engineers working for a year before you can even have a demo, right? So my previous company that I worked for, that was exactly it, right? We raised a big Series A, where you know twelve, you know engineers uh, building a product for a while. In this case, we're trying to do a pretty lean team. Want to try to keep a good portion of the ownership within the team and you know reward the team that works for the product specifically. And then our investor, we try to handpick. That's we're only done so far angels. And everyone that comes into the team, essentially, it's, they come into the team. They don't write a check for us. And there are people that help us in specific areas that either we uh, don't have time or don't have the expertise you know, in areas that they can help us with. Maybe marketing, maybe BD, or what have you. What I want to say is that exactly what Alex uh, said, the important thing is not to have a lot of money. Like is to have smart money. I know it sounds very cliche, like that—that's what everybody says. But you need people that will help you partner and grow the company. We were blessed that our customers love the product and they want to become also investors. So we didn't have any problem raising money in this round that we did. We raised like almost six hundred the first week without us even reaching to our investors, the investors that we wanted. But the important thing is the connections, the network. This is the most important thing. It doesn't matter if you have like, if you raise five, 10 million, at the end of the day is network, providing value to the customers, having the team being with you all the time and don't, try, and don't screw them up. This is the important thing. And I've seen startups that they literally kicked ass. And my previous startup, like literally we kicked serious ass and we only raised 100K. 
and our competitors have raised like a hundred million every every time. I was seeing on TechCrunch like these guys raised another one hundred, these guys raised another fifty. I don't care. I want the team to be happy, the customers to be happy, and if you provide value, you'll find the money. But make sure that the money that you get from people that they're going to be with you. So saying that, all our our uh, investors they get once or twice once per month or sometimes like every two months a report of how we're doing and of course things that they should help us with like they have a to-do list like hey guys you need to help us out because if we just wanted your money and you sit back we can also do that and we can find money to do that so i want them to be part of this. Hey guys, we need intros there. Help us with marketing. Help us with this. We want an intro to this specific uh, show or something like that. And maybe I'm a little bit biased. It's one of the reasons why the majority of VCs are not a good fit, at least for our kind of startup. We like people that are very hands-on. Like I could call them like 11 o'clock at night and they're like, okay, I could help you out with pricing because I have a company that is doing like 20 million. So I know how to do it. So yeah, this is super crucial for for founders. And I've seen here in Los Angeles that everybody tries to raise at least 3 million because that's how you do it. That's what society says. That's, yeah. That becomes the North Star and it's not really what it should be. Exactly. 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 And it's very easy to fall into this trap. Yeah. Like I need to raise. And then your expectations are, if I don't raise 3 million, I don't have a good startup or I'm a crappy founder. This doesn't make any sense. Like... Happy customers, happy team, everything else will play out. Like you'll figure out the money situation. Sure. I mean, money's the oil, it lubricates the whole thing. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, sometimes you can be scrappy and like it's actually better that you don't have money because you can figure out more creative solutions to, uh, to a problem versus just throwing money at buying, buying customers on Facebook or something. Exactly, exactly, yeah. One more point on the on the problem that you're solving and the and the product, and then we'll kind of start to start to wrap this up. But like we talked about, you know, building portfolios for investing that's transparent and 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 malleable and like really like you know easy to see. How do you guys make money? I would charge one percent of uh, a management fee for your portfolio, and then any trading fees or custodian fees we pay them. They come out from our account. So it's transparent, upfront pricing, not like a bank where there's all sorts of different lines no, no, and no. fees. And yes, yes. We, de- we get zero kickback from anybody and that's super important for us. We don't have any salespeople going out and doing sleazy things. We'll never call you to upgrade. Hey, you know what? You need to put more money. This doesn't happen. And of course, we use machine learning to do option strategies, an extra layer on, your, on top of your portfolio to hedge for any market risks or give you additional returns. And of course, the way that we're using machine learning, we have published exactly how we're using it. We've published the algorithm. So you as a customer knows how we build the portfolio, when we build the portfolio, everything. You get a notification. Yeah, we deployed this strategy that works like that. Yeah, I love it. So last question, you guys can answer. I'll give you two options. You can answer anyone you want. The first one's advice for someone super early in their career, what you would tell someone. I mean, really vague, but you know, work for a big company, work for a small company, do something on your own, go to college, don't go to college, anything like that. Or lots and lots and lots of smart, driven, motivated people listening to this podcast. If there's anything that they can do to provide value to you guys, here's your opportunity to, to ask. So advice or- I think, that, I think I'll go with number two. Okay. People that are listening to this, you know, there's a good chance they're in our target audience that we try to serve, right? Uh, and as John said, we're kind of in the middle of, you know, there's people that are very, very, very well served by, you know, the first wave of investment products in the market. 
that trying to you know take out some of the more regional you know smaller scale financial advisors help you know people a little bit lower net worth to invest wisely and very cheaply and then the very high end you know wall street so we're kind of in the middle ground so as we're still kind of refining the products and especially refining the pain points with you know people that might have and i think we identify some of them on our own because i think we're very picky on what we wanted from a product and we build it exactly the way we wanted it to be i think what we're looking for to see how much of this resonates with people in that audience and making sure that our message goes across really well and we're of course being startup you know we iterate a lot in that and you know whatever we learn we you know we update our messaging but essentially you know we want to see what we have today and the way a product we've built if it matches people's expectations and demands and if we've set the by the bar high enough right so we want to set the bar high enough because a we build it for ourselves so if we're building a mediocre product for ourselves we're doing ourselves a disservice to begin with I think that's it. I don't know if you want to add. Oh, yeah. For anybody that is listening to us, I hope there are, no, I know there are thousands of them like now knocking on your door, like, hey, we want to be on the podcast and everything. Instead of asking, like, asking them something, I want to say, like, if you guys have any questions about startups, fundraising or whatever, we'd love to help you out because we are also founders and we try to serve the high net worth individual founders. So we'd love to be with you. So when you sell your company or whatever, we'll be <laughs> next to you. So without any charge or whatever, just ping me on LinkedIn. Uh, let's go for coffee. You have any problem or need any mentor like with your startups, fundraising, contacts, link, help you with pitch deck. I'm doing this like all day. It's what I like, helping, helping out founders. So... Yeah, network, as I yeah. said, the big, the network. Yeah, that's Guys, it. Guys, I love it. We'll go out for really, really thick Greek coffee. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do it. All right, well, thanks so much for coming on. This was so much fun speaking with you guys. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having us. It was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow. Also, leaving a review on iTunes helps too. Thanks. Thanks.